Oh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Fleet Feed Happy Hour. Uh, our special guest tonight is NAZ Elite, professional runner, U.S. champion, mom, wife, Instagram, true original, Stephanie Bruce. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. So I have to say, you, uh, you form a challenge for me because you are so diverse in your interests, uh, in, your, um, in, in the things that you do on a day in, day out basis. I, I have like 60 pages of material here. And I mean, I just, I, I, there's an 18 page blog that I have that, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me uh, when I read it and it says, the pen hits the paper, last week hit me hard, how you deal with four-year-old tantrums, defiance, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel guilty for success. I want to keep the pressure on and keep excelling. My marriage is rocking right now. And, and then you talk about things going on in the world and how uh, you struggle with your feelings and you struggle with the, uh, the success that you're having. I mean, it's, it's, you, you are a true original that you're not afraid to put yourself out there. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's very true to who I am. Um, it's probably just the combination of like life experiences I've had from, from actually a very young age um, until now. Um, I think I've been um, humbled by experiences, but I've also seen like the top of success and I know what it feels like everywhere in between. And so I'm a big believer in that we move forward in life when we feel most connected to other humans. And so that kind of gives me, I guess, inspiration, motivation um, to share a lot of my ups and downs because I have to feel like it, it should resonate with one person. And yeah, if it does resonate with one person, um, my job is kind of done. Well, you, you resonate with a lot of people. There's absolutely no doubt about that. If you just follow your, your Instagram account, you can see the amount of people who feel really connected to you. But let's talk about uh, growing up. Um, uh, where, was, where was youth for you and what was youth like? Sure. So I was born in Manhattan. Not many people, I mean, you kind of know that about me, but I'm a New Yorker at heart. Um, but a kind of funny story about my birth. My family was living in Greensboro, North Carolina, but my mother had given birth to two of my brothers um, to, in New York. Her OBGYN was there. And so on January 13th, Friday the 13th, she decided to get on a plane and fly from Greensboro to New York. And I was born on Saturday, January 14th. So she was very, very pregnant. Uh, you could say somehow close to in labor. Um, yeah, and she got on a plane and wanted to give birth to me to her doctor in New York. And I was like, mom, how did you get away with something like that? But this was 1984. So I think she just told the flight attendant she was six months pregnant. And who's going to question a pregnant lady, right? So um, yeah, I, I grew up my first week of my life. I lived in the Plaza Hotel because that's where uh, my mom was staying. And they whoa, 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 hold on a second. So your mom, who clearly has to be a true original herself, uh, would get decide to say, I need to be with my OBGYN in New York. That's the only place I can have my child is in Manhattan. And then you had your first few days of life at the plaza. So 
Okay, I, I've said to a couple of other runners, I want to option the movie rights to this. So I, we're going to have to have a conversation because this sounds like the beginning of an awesome movie. Yeah, it, um, it's a pretty funny story when I think about it. And then part of me thinks like, the reason I'm so good at running is because uh, like in utero, right before I was born, I was at 30,000 feet, you know, for four hours the night before I was born. So that altitude effect had to wow, um, yeah, come into play. Uh, <laughs> um, we're going to have to talk to the IAAF about that. That's right. Right. <laughs> um, and actually, I just saw like a new show on um, Netflix. I think it's called Lenox Hill. And I was born at Lenox Hill Hospital. And on the show, the first episode said people come to be born and to die at Lenox Hill Hospital. And I was like, what a horrible but joyful thing. And it was kind of ironic that that's where I was born. And my mom really wanted me, yeah, to be born there. So anyway, so first week of my life, that's where I spent. Um, then I spent the next six years growing up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I'm the youngest of four children. I have three older brothers. I'm the only girl. And um, when I was seven years old, my dad's job kind of moved us around and took us out to Phoenix, Arizona. And I ended up spending the next um, basically 11 years uh, of my childhood growing up in Phoenix. And um, I joined cross country very hesitantly in high school. I say hesitantly because in Phoenix, uh, if anyone is familiar with the weather, it's very hot uh, many months of the year. And to like a 15 and 16 year old, that just wasn't really that appealing to me that I had to one, wake up at 5 a.m. to show up for practice. And um, I didn't know what this whole cross country thing was. It was, you just run absurd distances on different terrains. Um, there's really no measure. You either run two and a half miles up to three and a half miles on dirt. Canals, so absurd. Right? <laughs> and now it's my job. Um, yeah. and. Um, I just, I honestly, I didn't really love it or enjoy it. And I truthfully was more interested in partying in high school. Um, I was kind of a bad kid, you could say. And I, yeah, I would rather like go out to a party and not show up for practice the next day. And much to the sh chagrin of my uh, cross country coach, like he really felt like I had more in me and I just wasn't um, like showing up enough and I wasn't like being dedicated and my mom and dad told me that as well but what I loved about them growing up they weren't parents that really like pushed me into anything they really wanted me to find my own path um, but I will tell you they definitely like would see me finish races and they would think like Stephanie I think there's more like in there than you think but it took me all the way through my high school career career to really like I guess, see that other perspective that they saw. And um, towards the end of my senior year, uh, my dad had been diagnosed with prostate cancer um, a few years before and his health was kind of declining. I know I've told the story to some of you before, but it's kind of important to, to shape what happened next. And um, halfway through my senior year, he was getting um, cancer treatment at Sloan Memorial Kettering in Manhattan. And I decided to go out there, you know, and visit him as his health was really going downhill. And so I flew out there um, on a Friday and I spent the night with a friend in Long Island and I woke up Saturday morning and I was going to take the train into the city to visit him. Um, and when I went for <clears throat> a run that morning before I was going to take the train, I had this strange feeling on that run. Couldn't really explain what that was. Uh, and then I came home from the run and my stepmom was on the phone and she said, Stephanie, your father passed away. 
Um, and of course I was very much in denial, you know, I'm 18 years old and I'm by myself. And I said, no, that's not true. Um, I'm about to go see him in the city. And she's like, no, he, he died in the last hour. And so that feeling I think I had on the run was probably him passing through me. I mean, he died literally while I was on that run. And I think that strange feeling was, I don't know, the spirit of him passing through me. And it really just changed the trajectory of my life because the way I used to view running, it was something that I had to do. I had to show up for a practice. Um, I had to be motivated. And now running was something that I get to do. Um, I get to show up. I get to use my body. I, I, it's a gift to me. Um, yeah. And that, that event like really shaped the rest of my life, essentially. Really strong statement there. I mean, it's one of the things that we found from uh, uh, a couple of the athletes that we've spoken with, especially somebody like Dina Castor, who talks about gratitude all the time and being able to, to have the ability to do something as opposed to the weight of doing something. It sounds like the way that you approached it at, at that time. When, when did you start uh, understanding that running was your thing? Like I, you must have had some really good performances in, in high school uh, to get you to a point where you were going to be heading off to the University of California, Santa Barbara? Sure. So before before my father had passed, I guess I'll take you back, junior year of high school, my PRs were around 529 for the mile, um, I think 1210 for the two mile. So like pretty decent for a high school runner, but probably not someone who's like thinking of taking it to the next level. Um, and then it sounds so like cliche to say this, but honestly, after my dad passed away, I just kind of like looked myself in the mirror and I was like, are you trying hard enough? Like, are you going through enough pain in races and workouts? Um, because like, how hard can it really be? And like these people that are beating you, are they really that much just more talented or do you just not want it as much as them? And that really shift my perspective and he passed away in February of my senior year. And by the time my senior year track season ended in May, I ended up taking my mile PR down to 458. Um, and I was second in the state meet and I ran around 1110 for two miles. So I shaved a significant amount of time um, off my PRs. And I think the most important part of that mile PR was I actually went into that race and I was like, I'm gonna win the Arizona State like title in the mile. And of course my coach was like, okay, Stephanie, like, I'm really glad you believe in yourself, but he always like had his reservations. He always thought there were people that were more talented than me and that they were going to be able to like always beat me. And I, I plotted out how the race was going to go and it went exactly how I thought. And with a hundred meters to go, it was myself and the other woman and we were neck and neck. And I was like, this is what I played out in my head. Like I'm winning this race. And I got to a uh, hundred meters to go and my legs just weighed a thousand pounds. And I literally hit like a brick wall and I faded. She pulled away, she won and I got second. But that was the first time in my life I realized winning wasn't everything like getting the most out of yourself. And I had the audacity to like dream big that I could actually be this person who was nobody the year before and say that I wanted to win the state meet. And even though I didn't achieve it, um, I got pretty damn close. And so that kind of like carried into uh, my college career and then professional running career. 
So I want to stop here for a second because you said something that just floored me that your coach told you that you couldn't do it. <laughs> it's basically what I just heard. Uh, it sounds like you've had you're, you're, you've shifted from uh, from coach to coach, and each one has been better and better. What was your experience like when you got to uh, University of California, Santa Barbara? So let me go back. My high school coach is amazing, and he's like, <laughs> he he would like, and he would be honest. Like he saw me the most. He's like, this girl doesn't show up for practice. She eats fast food all the time. She's not doing the things, you know, that like lead to excellence and. He saw me, you know, get kicked out, almost get kicked out of school for a drinking offense. So like he saw all the negatives. Um, and so there were all these things that, yeah, like stacked up against me and he wasn't wrong in thinking that. Um, but then I think each time I like went to my next journey, I matured as I got older and I started to be able to like see myself who I was and it became less of, oh, these are obstacles I have instead of like maybe I'm putting those in front of myself because I'm either afraid of success or um, there's this fear of failure. If you set yourself up so well and you don't achieve it, like was it all worth it? And so um, my relationship with my college coach was awesome. Like he, he actually had semi recruited me. Um, I was really interested in going to Santa Barbara. I researched the program. They had not really been on the map at NCAs and I just felt like I could go there and I could like help put that school like back on the map as a women's program. Um, and he was like, okay, well, I don't know if you have the physical credentials, but you really have the mentality and that can go a long way. So when I got there um, my freshman year, like instantly I was able to make an impact and I felt like that was the best decision for me to go to the school. But then we, we got kind of some unfortunate news after I was there for a year. Um, when my dad had passed away, his uh, company had gone bankrupt and we didn't really realize uh, where all the funds were allocated. So unfortunately, my mom said she was going to have to pull me out of school because um, we couldn't pay out-of-state tuition anymore. And I was on a very tiny scholarship. Um, and I was bummed because, you know, I had just gone through my father's death death the year before and I thought like I made this big jump to to move out of state to college and I was going to really like discover myself now and I was going to have to leave and kind of start all over again and there was an article written in the school newspaper um Rothstein has to drop out of school it's my maiden name and for whatever reason <laughs> um an anonymous donor uh, reached out to my college coach and they said that they wanted to fund the rest of my college career and pay for me to stay in school. And um, yeah, I don't know if that was my dad's work from heaven or what it was, but it was just this unbelievable gesture that I didn't realize like strangers could make such a difference on someone's life and such an impact. And I never got to meet them, but I was able to correspond. And I said, how do I ever repay you? I, I don't even, I don't even have the words. And I'm someone that usually doesn't stop talking. And they just said, like, make the most of your life. Um, and so kind of, I adopted almost like a pay it forward mindset. And that's what I've tried been trying to do ever since in whatever way I can try to pay it forward or make a difference in someone else's life because I kind of got the second chance. It's an amazing story. I, I, I'm actually thrilled for you that you got to correspond with the, uh, with the donor 
Um, did they have a connection just to your story or did they have a connection to the school uh, that, uh, that really inspired them? I have no idea, which is That's amazing. the crazier part. Exactly. It is amazing. You just never know like what is in people's hearts. So I'm kind of imagining that, you know, it's the late nineties, uh, early two thousands. Uh, you're, you're, you have a, a leather biker jacket on a pair of Wayfair glasses. You're flicking a cigarette off to the side, but you're going and hammering out miles. Is that kind of the bad girl image that you had at that point or? I was like, where are you going with this? Um, <laughs> I don't, I you probably take out all those. Um, no, put in like uh, a silly red convertible um, <laughs> and someone with like, like no worries, no cares. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it sounds crazy, but after my dad passed away, like that bad girl or that just irresponsible, like minor went away. And I joke, even when I met my husband at the age of 23, he was like, what happened to you? You're like 40 years old already. <laughs> People are supposed to be having fun in college. And I was like, you know what? Like I had fun in high school, but like the wrong kind of fun. And honestly, at 36 years old now, I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my entire life. And I wish I could have told my younger self that, you know, when I was doing things that weren't the best I'm like this is the best time of my life right now and so yeah I just I guess I was forced to grow up a little sooner um maybe than most after losing my dad but I'm thankful for it I I like the balance here I mean I I, I just to give context to this to the to the folks that are they're watching and listening on the front page of uh Steph's um uh, uh website it's about Steph Bruce the quote is, don't take life too seriously, you'll never get out alive. Van Wilder. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm loving everything about that because it, it really does speak to who you are and that, this idea that you're this fierce competitor uh, that really likes to go and work out hard and, and see the most of yourself, uh, but you also have this light side of you that really has a tendency to uh, to, to love friends, uh, love family, and, and and love fun. Yeah, I mean, I think you're just complimenting to me too much. Thank you. Well, um, you know, I'll, I'll find the bad stuff later, but you know, it's <laughs> I, yeah. I I I really do think that when I when I'm looking at the things that we that we have uh, to be able to the 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 accomplishments that you've had and the way that you've approached it with some of the adversity that you've had, both self-imposed adversity as a youth and then things happening to your mom and to your dad, I, I think that it really is a story of, uh, of success as opposed to uh, this, I, I, I have a weight on me. I mean, I think as, as like humans, we are only capable of handling so many things and so many emotions. And so for me, I think much my life is like switching off some days you're just like this day is heavy and you have to feel what's going on and you you know i think about like i have friends who are trying to have babies right now and they for the life of them can't get pregnant and they've been in a battle fertility drugs for 10 years and 
I was lucky to get pregnant accidentally for a second time, you know? So I have this like weight that I feel guilty for a moment when I got pregnant with my second son, I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like this wasn't my plan and timing. And then I'm like, how dare me? There are women who would give anything to have a baby if they can't get pregnant. So you always are able to just shift perspectives of, you know, like I'm winning a national title yet. I spent a year and a half aqua jogging when I was 22 years old and sitting and watching USA's like in, on crutches on the sidelines. So I've been at both ends. And so I'm able to like relish in the good, but also like, like hold space for the bad part. And I think like, I don't know, that's just how we feel and how we connect as humans. And I can't imagine like living any other way. Um, yeah, and, and I imagine other people feel that way, but sometimes like don't know how to verbalize it. So I just try to like share my instant truth as soon as it's coming to the forefront. Well, you do a really good job of that, both in, in words and uh, on, on your website and, uh, and, and through Instagram, through pictures as well. But I, I want to go back to your college career because you had success in college and it seemed to really, you really seemed to blossom. I mean, you, you it took down a, a, a record at the school, uh, you were all American. Uh, what was the college career like for you and, and how did you really uh, embrace it? What I loved about UCSB was it was my first like experience to college running and what it looked like. And from the outside, you know, you can see one picture and make a judgment, but my college coach was, I'm in it for the long haul. Like I want you to have like great female health the rest of your career. So we talked about eating disorders. We talked about getting your periods like right off the bat. And it was so refreshing to know that this coach wasn't just about um, like winning titles and winning championships. He was like, I want you to have children later if you want. I want you to keep running. Um, and I was so fortunate, you know, to have Pete Dolan like as a mentor through college. And so I would say I kind of gradually came along each year and I just got a little bit better. And I, when I ran my first 10,000 meter, which was like the, the farthest you can run in college, um, I did have pretty instant success. Like I got the school record in my first try and I qualified for NCAs. And I was like, maybe this like long distance is my future um, because it came pretty naturally. So when I ran, I ran around 33, I think 27 for my first 10K. And I was very excited for two months later when NCAs would roll around. But about a month after the race, I tried to run a 5K. And after going out a pace a little bit faster, I just blew up in the middle of the race. And I had a miserable last like five laps. And I actually ran the same time as in a 5K that I ran in the 10K. So like two times I ran 1640, which what I, I had just done that twice. And I was like, something does not feel right. Um, and so for the first time in college, um, we learned about getting blood tests and blood work. And I got my blood drawn and um, they were like, do you know what ferritin is and hematocrit and hemoglobin? I was like, no, but you know, you can explain it to me. And they said, well, that's your oxygen carrying capacity. And you know, that's what allows you to live, to breathe and to run. And so they told me my ferritin level was four. And um, for anyone that is familiar with that, that is extremely low. Um, like a, a woman's a general woman's like runner ferritin level should be anywhere from like 
20 to 60 on the norm. Um, and so they, one, couldn't believe that I was running. Two, how was I walking around? Um, and that was the first time that I was like, okay, like, I don't know why that happened, but let's try to get on some iron supplementation and like really try to figure this out because MCAs is coming. So I did my best. I supplemented, did all the research. Uh, training wasn't that great, but I was like really committed to showing up at NCAs and doing my best and going into that race. Um, I think every person who qualifies, their goal is to be top eight, to be an All-American. And I got my blood tested right before, but I didn't want to really want to know my number. And when I got into that race, um, it was one of the hardest races I've ever run and the pace was like a little slower than my PR. And I remember just feeling like I was grinding like the whole time. Um, and I kept being like, hearing what place I was in. I was in 12th place and then I was in 11th place. And I knew top eight was like where I wanted to be. And so the bell lap came and I was in 10th place with 400 to go. And I literally just like shut my eyes and I sprinted as hard as I could or what felt like as hard as I could. Um, and when I opened my eyes with 100 to go, um, I had moved into eighth place, which was the last All-American spot, crossed the finish line, did the dramatic fall down on my knees. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I did it. Like I got all American and I ran over to my coach and I was like, Pete, like we did it. And I was like, what was my iron level? And my ferritin, he was like, five. <laughs> <laughs> so it had literally gone up one point and he was like, I have no idea how you did that. And I'm so glad you didn't know what your ferritin level was. And that was the first time that it hit me how much running was a mental sport and how much you could achieve mentally over what you're physically capable of. Because if I had known that my um, ferritin only increased one point, I'm definitely self-sabotaging before that race. And I'm going in and I'm creating excuses before I even get on that start line. But instead, I just said, no, like I belong here. I want to be top eight. I'm going to go get that today. Um, and I did. And it also showed me that I think I was going to be a lot better later in my career once I got my ferritin above five. I think this is kind of a good time to pivot. Uh, first of all, for the going from four to five, that's 20%. So that's awesome. Um, but one point is not great. Uh, but you, you've battled uh, some, um, uh, some uh, nutritional problems throughout your career. When did, you, uh, when did you find out that you were a celiac and, and, and how did you address that at that time? Well, I think this incident was kind of the first um, picture that I, or piece of the puzzle that I didn't really understand. But what was happening was I was taking iron supplements, but my body wasn't absorbing it. So it didn't matter how much I could take, uh, my body just was not utilizing that. And so essentially it was either getting rid of it or it was just sitting um, in my blood and not really like going, going through me. So that took quite a few years actually. And I, I had about two years after college where I definitely um, contemplating quitting because I hadn't really run any times that um, you would write home about any times that would be worthy of a professional contract. Um, you know, no one was really recruiting me, but I had to, this really stubborn belief in myself that there was a reason why my iron was low. There was a reason why I wasn't recovering or I was injured all the time. I remember doing this fantastic workout about nine days before the U S track championships. 
And um, I was like, okay, like maybe I should be doing this professional running thing. And then I went to sleep that night and I woke up and when I got out of bed, I put my um, foot on the ground and I kind of just fell on the ground. My leg gave out. And the next day um, I went and got an MRI and I had a sacral stress fracture. And I was like, I don't understand. Like I didn't feel any pain. I didn't have anything that was, you know, like giving me signs. Um, so it was just kind of like setback after setback. And that's where I watched USAs from the sidelines with crutches. Um, and so there were plenty of reasons why I probably could have and should have hung it up besides that like inner voice. Um, and I finally found a naturopath in Portland, Oregon that asked me, had I ever heard of food allergies? And this was 2009, 10, where I think a lot of it hadn't really hit the market yet. Like we didn't understand gluten sensitivity, dairy allergies. Um, and so we just did an elimination diet and it was really hard to do it. And then once I brought out like the big um, culprits for me, which was gluten, dairy and egg, I brought them back in and I realized like how bad I felt to eating those things. And I think that took about five months to figure out. Then I took a test um, I got a blood test and a stool test and it confirmed the diagnosis of, um, yeah, gluten sensitivity, celiac. And at that point I was kind of in this like crossroads. Okay. You can either go back to school, figure out a career, do something with your psychology degree, or you can take a chance on yourself and try to pursue this professional running career, even if no one else, you know, believes you can do it. So I drafted an email and sent it out to probably six or seven of the best um, U.S. distance running coaches. And I just very boldly said, I think I could be one of the um, best U.S. marathoners in the country. I know I doesn't look like I have the time to back it up, but would you take a chance on me? And not surprisingly, no one responded. And uh, then about two weeks later, I did get one response back from a coach. Um, and that's what brought me out to Flagstaff when I had joined um, a group out there in around 2010. And nine months after moving there and figuring out all my allergies, um, I ended up running 229 in the marathon. And that kind of put me, I guess, on the stage in the conversation. Um, it was like the seventh best. U.S. American time um, in 2011, and yeah, it just confirmed that maybe I should keep betting on myself. Well, you continue to bet on yourself in a number of different ways. Uh, we'll go bring up a picture here for a second, if I can do that one moment. Um, let's see, there we are. Was that around the time that you met uh, this lady? Um, I actually met her in 2008 after the Olympic trials. Um, I had just finished 12th in the 10,000 and I wasn't a running nerd. So I didn't really know that much about like who was in the running world. So I was injured and I was in a tiny apartment gym complex um, on a spin bike and sits down next to me, this lady, Lauren Fleshman. And I was like, Hey, you know, like, who are you? And she's like, Oh, I'm a pro professional runner. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like me too. I'm trying to make the Olympics one day. <laughs> and oh, I, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to get this. Does anybody else have this experience where you're going to the gym and you sit down to somebody on a spin bike and you're like, Hey, I'm a welder. And the next person to you is a welder as well. So you got two professional runners next to each other. I mean, to be fair, this apartment complex was where a lot of like the Oregon track club lived. 
So um, it, was, it wasn't that <laughs> odd, but I could see. And this was Eugene, Oregon. Everyone was a distance runner in Eugene, Oregon. Um, but the, the boldness of the things that came out of my mouth, like I was like, yeah, I'm trying to make an Olympic team. Um, I had just got 12th, but I was like two minutes behind making the Olympic team, which is not really in the conversation. And she's like, oh, yeah, cool. Um, I just got fourth. And I ran 14.58 in the 5K. And I was like, oh, so you actually can make the Olympic team. Um, here I am, this like poser sitting there pretending that like I can make it. And she shared the story with me that she had the best time in the US and she broke her foot three weeks um, before the Olympic trials. So she really saw her Olympic dreams go down the tube. Um, and it's sad to say like she would ne she would never go on to make an Olympic team and she was one of the best 5k runners you know we've ever seen um, but the cool thing that happened was she invited me over and we just started chatting and we said you know you have all these professional runners doing this weird job and then when they get injured they're like I don't know what to do with my life like what else is there and you have these careers that are either so short or these careers that you're just scraping by and not making that much money um, because it's so dependent on if you stay healthy, if your sponsor renews you. And so we talked about like, what else could there be? And she explained that her husband, Jesse, was trying to be a pro triathlete. And she's like, honestly, I think he's gluten sensitive. He just keeps farting all the time and I can't really handle it. So, so I that, that, that was an amazing part of the story that I read is that, that her house was filled with gas. Filled. filled. It was just horrible. For anyone that like thinks that's normal, like that's not, you might have a food allergy. <laughs> so um, yeah, she just was like, I need to make a bar one that you can pronounce all the ingredients because she felt like there were all these energy bars out there that had so many ingredients and all these fillers you didn't need and she wanted like real food and we wanted the right carb to protein ratio um, and we wanted it to taste good and we kind of just got to know each other with our hands sticky and this picky bar um, mixture and after about six to eight months we were like we should, we should like do this. What if we tried to make like a home energy bar company? And I was like, how hard can it be? So I just pulled out my laptop and we Googled, how do you start a home energy bar company in your kitchen? And it was like, number one, uh, get a, have a get, kitchen. Have, yeah, have a kitchen, <laughs> get your kitchen certified, um, have a business model and like get a license. And we, we honestly started there in 2009 and then a year later, when we were in the beginning stages, we weren't quite like ready to go. We hadn't had a website. I had this unfortunate conversation with Runner's World where they used to do something called a brief chat. Mm -hmm. And you talked with um, a gentleman and you just kind of like spit out stuff. He recorded it. Everything was um, on the record. And then after the interview, I just assumed he stopped recording. I'm like, yeah, we're just kind of shooting the crap right now. And I was like, yeah, we're, um, my, my friend and I are thinking of starting this energy bar company called Picky Bars. And we're not sure if we're going to do made to order bars or if you can just order them online and it'll probably be piggybars.com. And that was it. I thought we were just talking as friends. Well, a week later, the article comes out and says at the bottom of the interview, uh, Stephanie Rothstein and Lauren Fleshman uh, launched energy bar company Picky Bars. And Jesse called me and he was like, like, what did you do? We don't have a website. So he built a website in 24 hours. It crashed.
but it was kind of awesome because then it forced us to start a company. I would say that uh, sometimes the mother of invention is pure pressure. And that sounds like that's what happened in that interview. And, and Lauren is a is not uh, uh, not only uh, a, a fantastic runner, uh, but she's a dynamic personality. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, as you were doing this, I mean, there's the there's the business of running, which is going out and and left, right, repeat, putting in the mileage. And then there's the industry of running. And uh, what do you love more? Oh, that's a good. Can I love them equally? <laughs> you sure? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say I love um, the art of it because no one can take that away from you. And the business of running, there there are a lot of, um, you know, things you have to navigate through. Um, but when it's just you, one foot in front of the other, you are kind of the master of your domain. You know, you can push as hard as you want. You can run as many, many miles as you want. You can walk, you know, you can run, you can sprint. There's so many um, great things that just the process of running does for you that I'd have to, I have to say the art of running is what I love more. Well, in full transparency, we have been picky bar uh, retailers since 2013, 2012. Uh, and uh, the product does incredibly well. Uh, it is my go-to snack. Um, and, and for you, how, how does it work for you on a day in day out basis with having two kids and a insanely busy lifestyle? Well, I am, I guess what you would say, uh, what every business owner aspires to be. I don't do anything. I just own it right now. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being completely transparent, um, you know, I think with me being in Flagstaff and Jesse and Lauren and the company in Bend, it's almost a holdup for them to come to me with um, all these decisions on a daily basis. But I check in with Jesse, we have a meeting about every two weeks and he kind of lets me know what's going on when we are gonna uh, develop and launch a new product. Um, like we have some products that we're working on right now, which I'm excited about. But um, all the big decisions, you know, like we sit down as owners and talk about, but I would just get in the way now because the team just does a fantastic job and the operations that they've run over there. And my best thing I can do is, you know, give a picky bar or give picky granola to someone I just met and say, Hey, have you tried this? And usually if someone tries them, um, they really like them. And that, that's kind of my goal. And don't worry, my staff says the same thing about <laughs> me. I just get in the way. So I, I, I get that. So I want to jump back to uh, your your college career, and I mean, you had success in college, and you were you're coming out, and you're having some. It sounds like some some uh, medical uh, issues at that time. And how did you make the decision that you were going to make the leap from a college athlete to a to a professional runner? I don't even know how to answer. Like, it's honestly just I'm super bold. <laughs> I, uh -huh. I mean. I don't really think I had anything to go off or I don't want to say the right to, but there was nothing that would have told me that I belong, you know, as a pro runner to do this for a living. But I just had this weird stubborn belief in myself that if something isn't working out, there's always a reason. And instead of like pointing fingers or saying that you're not this because of some other reason, like go figure it out and go try to find out like, if that's not your path, why is that not your path? Um, and so I, I was just very persistent and 
I believe that I have a great work ethic and, you know, if I can overcome whatever little obstacles are thrown at my way. Um, and that's the great thing about distance running is like, if you're in it for the long haul, you're going to find out how good you can be. But if you give up too short on your journey, you know, you might never know how good you're going to be. So I just feel like I just keep committing to being on this journey. And I, I surprise myself in ways, but I also like validate, you know, those beliefs. So you, you start to have success uh, out of college and then you, uh, you, you, you get signed to Adidas and you ran for Adidas for uh, a few years. And uh, did that kind of solidify the fact that you felt like a professional runner at that point when you got that deal? Because uh, that was right after your, your, uh, uh, your 229 marathon, correct? Correct. I'd have to say that was the first time like I was paid a salary. Like that was my full-time job. That's this is what I do for a living. And that was, you know, 2011 to 2013. And they wanted me to make the Olympic team in 2012. But I dropped out of the marathon at mile 23. And I thought that was the end of my running career. And then I threw myself a little pity party. And then I picked myself up. And five months later, I got back on the track. And I didn't make the Olympic team in the 10k. But I ran a PR and I was eighth at the trials. So it's like, as long as I just kept like moving forward, um, I found out that like my last setback wasn't that big of a setback. Um, but it also the fact that someone was paying me and investing in me. I think what that part of my career did, it showed me that, you know, I didn't make the Olympic team. And then I got cut for that. I thought to myself, okay, if you can't deliver and make in the Olympics, like what else can you do as a pro runner? What else should be in our job descriptions? And then after I had children, I had a lot of time to think that I want to do this for the rest of my life, like be a professional runner. But what does that mean beyond being on the podium and beyond PR and beyond inspiring people with my performances? Like, what can I actually do as a human um, to like move the needle and make sure that like, they're paying me and they're realizing my value is actually giving back to the running community. I'll jump into a couple of pictures here. So again, that's the picture of you and Lawrence. Let me, let me kind of flash forward here uh, to show some of the things that uh, um, you said you wanted to give back and, and, and showing your true self is one of the ways that you really gave back. Uh, you have uh, two children, two boys, correct? Correct. And they're how old? Uh, right now they are one just turned six, Riley just turned six and Hudson will be five in September. Uh, so you, you had no problem showing your true self in a number of different ways that, uh, kind of gave you a lot of, uh, 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 a lot of fame, I guess is a strong word for it. Uh, notoriety is another word, but boldness, I think is really what it, uh, what it said is that you were not afraid to show yourself pregnant and you weren't afraid to show your, uh, uh, your stretch marks afterwards as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think when I had children and I was coming back, it was one of the most humbling experience as a professional athlete who is in the tip top shape, you know, 1% of people in the population having a baby was very humbling because none of my fitness mattered at that point. <laughs> um, it didn't matter like how great a shape I was. Um, my uterus was blown apart <laughs> and uh for the most for the most part i mean i just it was very humbling and i i tried to go for a run about nine weeks postpartum and 
it was very embarrassing what happened on that run. And I was like, one, how am I ever going to get back to the highest level of competition? Two, how am I ever going to like get back together as a woman? Because everything had changed and nobody told me all the things that happened to you. They just check you out at your OBGYN appointment six weeks postpartum. And then they're like, you're good to go. And then I like look down, I'm like, I'm good to go. Like, what about all the things that are going on down here? Um, what do I, what do I do with this? And I think that just kind of like made me start the conversation that I wish was had more. And I'm also surrounded by uh, incredible in shape professional athletes that I'm going to the start line with and they have six packs and amazing. And I was like, okay, well that changed for me, but just because my physical like self changed, does that mean my ability changed? And I realized, no, that was not the case. Like I'm always gonna have this stomach and little separation in my abs, but I'm running better than I've ever had before. So it, it shifted my focus on, it doesn't matter like what your body looks like, it matters what your body can do for you. And that was kind of the message that I wanted to convey. I see yeah, it is. Quotes going. <laughs> it is a kind of a, a bizarre, um joke that you leave the hospital and they give you this child and it's kind of like yeah you're set you're good luck no no problem uh mm -hmm. with uh, all this uncertainty in front of you uh but your uncertainty really turned into success uh that it seems like you had a career uh pre-children and then you have this career post-children and uh really a lot of your uh a lot of your great success has happened post-children I mean, my, my career post children is kind of like another example of when I, that donor funded my career, it felt like just a second chance, like another opportunity of like, I'm healthy, I'm strong. I have the resources, you know, Hoka is paying me. They believe in me. They never cut me when I was pregnant. They paid me through pregnancy. Um, so I don't have excuses. I don't have anything to say that I can't get this done. And maybe those first couple of years, like, the training was really hard for me. I was still having a lot of incontinence, like sleep deprivation, be feeling guilty about like leaving my child and then going and train and trying to breastfeed and pump and all the things that happen. But when it came down to it, like I felt so alive in those couple hours a day that I get to go train that I'm like, it would be a shame if I didn't pour everything into this. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know. I, I really don't have any excuses why I, can't get back to the highest level and why I'm not slowing down. And so I just have always felt like I got to keep pursuing and figure out like how good I can be um, until my time is up in the sport. Well, I do. Uh, tell me if I have this quote right uh, that you say, I still pee when I jump on a trampoline. Is that correct? Um, I am getting much better and I'm really proud of that. But kind of our joke was and what I love too is like I have a male coach and those first couple of years Ben had to work with me and we would do um, we do like drills and strides in the afternoon and one of them is like a 30 second or a one minute jump rope and after like 10 seconds I would be jump roping and I would just throw it on the ground and he just goes oh, okay I get it like really awkwardly because that's how Ben is it's like I get it you're, you're, you're peeing and um, but now like I'm really proud I can make it like a full 45 seconds and no incontinence. <laughs> so there has to be a ton of lessons that you've learned along the way, uh, not only from um, your personal experiences, from 
uh, being a professional runner to now being a professional runner and mom and, and wife uh, and entrepreneur. But what are the lessons that some of the races have taught you? Because you went from uh, 5K to 10K, half marathon, marathon. Um, and it seems like uh, when, we, when we talk to athletes, especially marathoners, they seem like they pull lessons out of individual races that they've done. Uh, we know that you've had tremendous success here on the streets of Chicago um, and uh, in 2019 uh, with your PR, but uh, what other lessons have you learned from marathoning? I mean, I've had, I've had two things happen in Chicago, <laughs> as most people know. Um, I mean, I think like Chicago is a great example of just like you can have this idea and I, I really wanted to go to Chicago and be top three, be top American, you know, like run a huge PB and I did run a personal best and I was six and for all intents and purposes, I was successful. And even Josh, my agent says, you can't be upset when you PR because that's the best you've ever done. But, you know, as athletes, we still like, we know what we feel like we're capable of. And I still feel like, you know, part of me like failed on that day. And, and then also I had this uh, momentary decision where I was at mile 22 and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to go to the bathroom. And I remember my husband, Ben was pacing me and I was like, Ben, I like, I have to go to the bathroom. And he kind of was like, okay, there's some porta potty like up on the road. And then like a second later, I was like, yeah, like that was past tense. Like I went to the bathroom already. And so I, I just like, I guess that's part of that parallel of being serious and being humorous. Like I tweeted after I was like, if you had the option of PR in the marathon or shit in your pants, which one would you do? And I was like, I got to do both because you kind of just have to like get rid of that armor of that. Like I'm just because I'm running 538 per mile does not mean I'm superhuman. I still had an accident. I still had timing problems that morning. That doesn't happen to me ever. But that morning, it was just it was a, a bad incident. But at the end of the day, like, my life isn't any worse for that, you know, like people aren't gonna be like, I can't believe you did that. So I think like bringing in, you know, the success this failure, but always bringing in the theme of humor um, has always like helped me get through things. Uh, and then the same thing kind of happened um, you know, this year for the Olympic trials, I wanted to make that Olympic team so badly. And arguably, I ran the best marathon of my career, it just wasn't good enough, because I was sixth place, and I was 19 seconds away from the Olympic team. Can I be upset? Yeah. But could I have done anything else? No. Um, and then the humorous part that I tried to bring in, like in the last couple months, when unfortunately because of coronavirus the olympics were canceled i'm like that's fine who wanted to go to the olympics anyway so <laughs> it was fine that i didn't make the team because they were canceled so you have to like bring that humor in because it allows you to like still keep making these big goals but also reminding you yeah don't take life too seriously well i also think that after the olympic trials your uh, uh your pure joy for your teammate uh, was uh, was without a doubt what uh, one of the highlights of that day. Yeah, I mean, Kellen, Alfin, and I, we, the cliche, blood, sweat, and tears, we trained every mile together for three months, and we had some really hard days, like physically out on the roads, but also like a lot of stuff we shared on runs that runners do. Um, I think that part of running sometimes uh, doesn't get per 
portrayed as much, but um, you know, how often have you been on a run and you're like, wow, I can't believe I just told someone all that on this long run and you would never tell anyone else, but it's like, whatever happens on the run stays on the run. Um, and we had many moments like that. Um, you know, Kellen shared this publicly, but Kellen fosters children. And this morning before we had um, this huge workout 15 times a mile, um, they, the state decided to take the foster kids that she had had. And it was a tiny baby who was, you know, four weeks old and then a two and a half year old. And that morning, right before she left for the workout, someone showed up and they just took the children. Um, they had to put them in a taxi cab. And for those three months that Kellen fostered those children in a second, they were gone. And then she came down, put her head down, ran 15 times a mile. And then I could tell something was kind of like a little off and on her cool down for the first time ever, she just stopped and started crying and me, Alphine started crying and we hugged each other and we had just accomplished this amazing physical feat, but we were still humans that had just experienced, you know, this really hard sorrow um, that morning. And so I think the connection the three of us shared um, all came out when Alphine won, when I crossed the finish line, when I saw what Kellen had gone through, it just was like a culmination of, even though we didn't make it, we made it because we put Alphine on the Olympic team. That's a, that's incredible. And I, uh, I, 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 you've alluded to a couple of things I want to just jump to. You've, you, you've mentioned Ben Rosario, you've mentioned Hoka, you've mentioned uh, 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 NAZ. Uh, talk about your teammates and, and and that culture that you have in Arizona and how how inspirational and fulfilling it is. Yeah, I mean it's what it's what I live for. I mean to to call teammates like coworkers the utmost respect that we have. Like we work in an environment where men and women are day in day out like amongst each other and like the camaraderie camaraderie we share and you know women have we have our jokes men have their jokes but that we can all like exist in the same environment and feel so comfortable with one another is such a unique um, opportunity and experience that's why I, I say that like this really is the best time of my life and I wish I could hold on to it forever um, but we're sharing like such amazing moments with one another and it really goes beyond just being a team like we are a true family um, and I'm very lucky to be part of that. And let's talk about uh, Hoka for a moment because uh, we have a bunch of uh, shoe geeks that are watching as well tonight. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, the shoes that you like to train in um, and, the, uh, and the shoes that you like to, to, to race in from Hoka. Mm -hmm. So, that, I mean, I'll be honest, that's the best part of the job that we get free <laughs> shoes. And I will tell you after running professionally for 10 years, it never gets old. I never say, oh gosh, another shipment of shoes. Like, it's like it your is, birthday. It is. It's <laughs> always, it's always Christmas. It's always awesome. Um, I always hold them up and like, don't want to get them dirty. I don't want to run in them. <laughs> no, I need to train in them. Um, and uh, yeah, so my favorite go-to is like, I train mostly in the Clifton's and now the Clifton six are kind of our number one model. 
Um, and then recently they launched the Rincon, which is a little bit of a lighter weight. So I love the Rincon for like long runs, but not true hard workouts. And then we've kind of evolved in um, the repertoire of flats that we have. I used to train primarily in the Carbon Rocket over the last couple of years. And then now they're kind of transitioning from that Carbon Rocket into the Rocket X. And that's the flat that I wore um, at the trials. And that's what I plan to probably train in racing. Um, for the most part and then just honestly the casual like the hupanas the mocks um hupana slips all the sandals we have like there's just way too many casual shoes that we have so i, I could wear a new pair every day which is really cool. so uh, steph sounding like a catalog for a hoka which is awesome uh coming out in the next couple of weeks is going to be the clifton seven uh so people who are clifton fans uh also the uh uh, the Clifton Edge, which uh, is a, a little bit softer, a little bit closer to the ground, is going to be hitting, I believe, Chicago next week. So if anybody's looking for, uh, for a Hoka product that's coming out. Now, the big question is, we know that uh, Hoka is owned by Deckers, and De Deckers owns Uggs. Do you own any Uggs as well? I have a few pair. We're, we get some fun like collabs every once in a while that some companies do. And um, yeah, I have a couple boots just to keep you warm in those desert nights. I get that, right. exactly. Uh, I, I do wanna to, uh, touch on one other thing. There was this moment in 2018 that was pretty awesome for you. Uh, tell us what the buildup was like for the, uh, for the peach tree in 2018 and take us through that, uh, that day. Yeah, the, the buildup was probably just some um, 10 years of not winning. <laughs> <laughs> truthfully 10 years of getting second place and third place and honestly like it kind of became my narrative I I really believe like you don't win races like you get second you always get out kicked um, no matter what you try to do I used to try to make a move like earlier in the race to try to get away from people and I always got caught I always got out kicked and I just thought I don't know if I'm ever going to win one of these and I'm 34 years old. Usually people don't make the Olympic team for the first time or they don't win national titles like after the age of 30, 31, 32. You know, you just start to become, I don't want to say old, but in running terms and how like how hard our training is, like there's just a lot of miles on you. So I thought maybe like my time was up, but um, I was lucky enough to train with Alphine and I was kind of on her a lot in training. I hung on to her and I knew a lot of like how she likes to race. And so going into Peachtree, I said, you know, you just have to have that belief. Like if you want it, you just have to go. So um, the way Peachtree played out, it was a pretty gradual first mile for us. It's all relative, but it was around 524 for our first mile, um, which was slightly, slightly warm that day. Uh, it was, yeah, it was around 70 degrees and, yeah. and like 90% humidity. <laughs> and, um, Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. So um, we were pretty, yeah, like controlled. And then sure enough, after a mile, Alphine makes a huge move. Sarah Hall covers it. And this is when I was just like, if they can go, if they can do it, you can do it. And so I just jumped on the back of Sarah Hall and we essentially sprinted down the hill. Our, our second mile was five minutes and then our third mile was 450. Um, but this is pretty downhill and we came through 5K around 1549. And at the time that was actually my track PR. So I said, okay, well, you just went through um, 5K in your track PR, but like you just have to believe 
and the way Peachtree runs is the next 5k starts to climb and it's a little more difficult but um Alphine pulled away going up the hill and then Sarah and I kind of worked together the next mile and a half and all I kept telling myself was the race isn't over until it's over and um about a mile to go I noticed the gap was kind of closing between Alphine and I and I pulled away from Sarah um and I got to the last turn, you make this left-hand turn and you have just under a thousand meters to go. And, and all of a sudden I was right on Alphine again. Um, and I pulled up next to her and I remember her kind of like looking and then she looked again and she might've realized it was me. And she remembers saying something and I kind of heard it where she was like, you go girl. And she was like so tired that she almost was trying to be like, hey, if someone's gonna beat me, I'm kind of glad it's my teammate. And it was weird in that moment we had like trained together i almost was like gosh this is weird to say this but i'm like ah, it's like hard to beat my teammate because like we do share so much and i have such respect for her but then the other part of me was like we'll go win this title so um yeah i just kind of uh went to the arms and it was a downhill last 200 meters and I think in that last minute it was really just like a montage of my life of the last 10 years of all the times that I said, don't quit, don't give up. Like you're supposed to be doing this. Who cares if people don't believe in you? Um, you can win this. And then yeah, crossing the finish line just made it come true. Well, US champion 10K road at Peachtree. Uh, that had to be just a, uh, a feeling of elation as it should have been uh, because that was a, I, I remember watching that race uh, that Sunday and uh, it was amazing uh, to see that last mile which was just looked like a fist fight until you uh, passed Alfie uh, and uh, and I think it's uh, it was amazing to see you cross the finish line and get that adulation uh, so I just wanted to say to you you are an original uh, you are outstanding and I can't thank you enough for spending time with us tonight on the on the happy hour uh, Steph Bruce thank you so much of course, if you don't mind, I actually uh, wanted to finish with a video clip that I had from that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. Oh, hold on. Uh, this, is, this is outstanding. <laughs> well, it's kind of fun because this is why I love the internet and social media. Someone took a clip of the last minute and they decided to dub it um, to LL Cool J, Mama Said Knock You Out. And it was the best thing that someone ever put on the internet of me. And so I just have to share it. Tell me if this is too loud, but I'll put it up here. Okay. It was a big performance, and round of applause for Steph Bruce everybody tell Ben I said hi 
I can't thank you enough uh, for spending time with us tonight. Uh, again, uh, you are a original. You are fantastic. Uh, we appreciate everything that you bring to running and everything that you bring to entrepreneurship as well. Uh, tell Lauren and Jesse hello. And you're more than welcome to stay on as we're going to open up the mics to our, uh, our racing team. But Stephanie, Bruce, uh, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the time. And um, thanks for all the people wearing grit shirts. Thanks for supporting <laughs> Hoka and NAZ Elite. And it was an honor to talk to you guys. Thank you. Okay. All right. Wow. That was beyond amazing. Beyond amazing. Uh, Steph, Bruce, uh, uh, really opening ourselves up. And, and, and again, I, I, I think that just shows us the power of running. Um, uh, welcome, uh, Fleet Feet Racing. We are two weeks away from getting together to do our first workout. Is everybody excited about that? I saw Cynthia on the path today, uh, I believe right around four, uh, right around five o'clock. Uh, yep, that's when I hit the path. Right it at- really hot. Right at Irving Park in a black Fleet Feet Racing uh, uh, singlet, uh, mowing down the workout. How was your workout today, Cynthia? Oh, mowing down well. Huh? Well, I was in a car going in the opposite direction, so I don't know what that means. Good, as long as I looked like I was going fast. Um, like, like a gazelle. Good, good. That's what I wanted everyone to think that was happening with my body. Um, it was, I mean, I always pick the warmest times of the day to do this, these 